In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Dear faithful, let's imagine ourselves for a moment, living in the time when our Savior walked the earth, now more than 2,000 years ago. Mentally place yourselves before him as one of the throngs of individuals on the day in which he gave his discourse on the bread of life. You've now walked for several days. You've only been able to take with you light provisions, maybe nothing at all. But your enthusiasm is not daunted, for you have personally witnessed Jesus work miracles of healing along the way, further confirming his divine power by visible manifestations. You've been traveling hard and eating light, and therefore you've worked up a great hunger. Then, to the delight of yourself and everyone else, you witness the miraculous multiplication of the loaves and fitness and fishes. You eat until you're full, until you're comfortable. You could honestly say that this meal really hit the spot. There are even leftovers in case you realize you still have room. As you settle down into the comfortable grass and await the ever-edifying words of Jesus, you hear the following. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If you're like one of the many, you're puzzled at these words, for this man is saying, he came down from heaven. You ask yourself, is he saying that he is God? Next, he goes even further. The bread that I will give is my flesh for the life of the world. Amen, amen, I say unto you, Except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you shall not have life in you. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath everlasting life, and I will raise him up in the last day. Then he really drives the point home. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead. He that eateth this bread shall live forever. To eat his flesh and to drink his blood, the very idea of doing this, which caused so much scandal amid the multitudes who had followed our Lord into the desert because they clung to an earthly understanding of these words, is the same idea which the so-called reformers of the 16th century the reformers of religion, to abandon the doctrine of the real presence, this total conversion of the substance of bread and wine into that of the body, blood, soul, and divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ. What we are talking about, of course, is most appropriately, appropriately known under this term of transubstantiation, employed by the scholastic theologians and which has been in a century since canonized by Holy Mother Church, with now more than 2,000 years of repeated affirmations from the Church's magisterium that our Lord is really present under the sacred species, and with so many Eucharistic miracles, well, sometimes perhaps it can be easy to dismiss the faithlessness of so many who left Christ at this point upon hearing these words. We should ask ourselves, though, are we really so sure that we would not have shared their reaction after hearing this discourse? Are we really that much more faithful than they were? After all, 
Why would you continue to follow a man who you honestly believed was telling you to commit the sin of cannibalism? Remember, the scriptures say that not a few of his disciples left him at this point, but many. But, O oh man of little faith, oftentimes our actions sadly merit us this pronouncement. Why, after so many proofs of God's omnipotence and his loving providence in our lives, do we continue to doubt his ability to live up to his words? Why would those who followed our Lord into the desert 2,000 years ago fail to understand that a man who clearly enjoyed divine power to work miracles could also work the miracle of the real presence? Why would only St. Peter, the rest of the disciples, and a handful of others be able to respond with these words? Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We cannot scrutinize hearts, but we can be assured based on very solid arguments from sacred scripture, from tradition, and from reason that those who abandoned Christ after hear hearing these words and those who deny in our day the real presence are in fact on much shakier grounds than those of us Catholics who affirm the real presence. In fact, the literal interpretation of our Lord's words in the Discourse on the Bread of Life imposes itself. There's no getting around it. To begin, note that Christ says that this bread of life is a bread that he will give. He uses the future tense. Were he speaking of a purely metaphorical or a purely spiritual eating and drinking of his body by putting faith in him, he would not speak of it in terms of a future gift. Already, during his three years of public ministry, he required that those who follow him dur during his earthly life put their faith in him, there and then. A purely metaphorical or spiritual sense of our, words, of our Lord's words, moreover, becomes totally impossible when we consider the context of the language and of the culture that our Lord was born into. For, for the Jews of first century Palestine, to use the expression to eat someone's flesh and to drink their blood, meant to exact a grave and terrible vengeance upon them for some evil they'd committed against you. Attempting to co-opt such an expression as something positive and which would put you in a state of communion of, with God would be totally unintelligible for Christ's listeners. Christ himself also confirms the literal sense of his words by attaching it to this penalty of spiritual death death for those who refuse to believe it, that is, eternal death, for those who fail to eat his flesh and drink his blood. Now, no one, if they were truly the Messiah, would deliver a teaching of such grave importance for our spiritual welfare by means of ambiguous and obscure words referring to a purely spiritual or metaphorical consumption of body and blood. Why confuse your auditors on a, master, on a matter with such lasting consequences for their eternal souls? Our Lord's discourse is so literal that the sixth chapter of the Gospel of John 
says that many were scandalized at his words, but he retracts nothing of what he said, and he lets them leave. Now, this is very different from how he behaved in many other instances when, those, when there were those who were confused by his words. Each time before this, during his public ministry, when his words were confusing or mysterious to his listeners, he did something about it to clear up the confusion. With goodness and patience, he explained the literal meaning of his words. Take, for example, the 16th chapter of the, of the Gospel of St. Matthew, verses 6 to 11, where Christ clarifies for his disciples, who are confused and wondering among themselves, that his warning against what he terms the leaven of the bread of the Pharisees and Sadducees means to be on guard against the false doctrines of these two camps. At first, they think he is literally warning them not to eat the bread eaten by the Pharisees and Sadducees, and he clarifies, no, I am speaking by means of a metaphor, be on guard against their false doctrines. And in other instances, when his auditors, through hardness of heart, refused to accept or to understand his teachings, he repeated his words by a solemn affirmation, just as he does in his discourse on the bread of life. St. Paul, for his part, marks his writings with a realism which leaves the idea of a purely spiritual presence of Christ in the Eucharist impossible to hold to. He says that those who receive the Eucharist unworthily and drink judgment upon them, eat and drink judgment upon themselves because they do not discern the body and blood of the Lord. It would simply not be possible to accuse individuals of the sin of not discerning the body and blood of the Lord if Christ were only spiritually present, not also really present. The words are too concrete and literal to permit it. This reproach of St. Paul, failure to discern the body and blood of the Lord, is only possible to hold if his body and blood are really there. And of the many and clear affirmations of the early church fathers of the belief in the real presence of our Lord in the Eucharist, St. Ignatius of Antioch, who died in the year 107, denounces the heretics of his day in his letter to the Smyrgians, saying, They hold aloof from the Eucharist and from services of prayer because they refuse to admit that the Eucharist is the flesh of our Savior, Jesus Christ which suffered for our sins, in which, in his goodness, the Father raised. We could easily lose hours poring over the evidence, not only from sacred scripture, tradition, and reason for our, for our faith in our Lord's real presence in the Eucharist, but it's not necessary. We have the faith, we have the sure and immemorial witness of the Church's teachings on the matter. Most importantly, we have the words of our Lord himself. This is my body. This is my blood. So let us strive to cultivate an ever greater love for our Eucharistic Lord, above all in the moment when he comes into the temple of our body and soul. For this bread,
the bread of angels, if taken properly with the worthy dispositions, will nourish us unto life everlasting. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, Amen.